Hey, all right. Good morning, everyone. How we doing? We know this is the favored service. You guys got to sleep in. You, you know, say this is this is my family's preferred service. So a special connection with the 11 a.m. Um, it's good to be here. I'm excited to be able to be a part of kicking off this series with you, the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph. There's so much here, and uh, and I've learned just preparing for this one week how much I think God's going to do in us and through us in this series. And um, how many of you have something in your life that you love? probably more than you should. Am I the only one? So for me, one of those things is I love free stuff. Our, our family motto in the Berry family is if it's free, it's for me. And um, I, I, the number of calls I've gotten from my wife as she's driving through a neighborhood and sees someone else's trash, which now becomes our treasure, I can't tell you how many times we've, we've brought home chairs that should, no one should ever sit in, but but we've reclaimed them, and um, we just love free stuff, right? Remember Costco when they used to do free samples? Um, how, much, how much joy that would bring your heart, right? Free stuff is awesome, and, and, and there's something about it, I don't know, it doesn't make logical sense, but anything for free brings me so much joy. Just recently, Pastor Jason and I, were, uh, we spent a week with over 300 teenagers uh, at camp, um, and it, we were driving back, and it was late at night. It was like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. We had a three-hour drive. We stopped at a gas station to get some, some supplies to keep us awake. And, uh, and so we go in, and we grab some snacks, and we grab coffee, and we bring it up to the counter. And the cashier says, hey, coffee's, on, coffee's free tonight. And both of us, you would have thought they said, hey, cash registers yours tonight, whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, we, we were like, wait, what? What did you just say? Did you just say these coffees are free? Now, keep in mind, the coffees were the cheapest thing we purchased out of all the other stuff. But for whatever reason, we had thought we just won the lottery. I mean, we were like, are you serious? The coffee's for free? And the rest of the ride home was like a praise and worship session. I've never seen Jason so anointed in all my life. I mean, it was like an angel had touched him in the form of free coffee. All right, there's something about, something about free stuff I just love. But I have to admit to you, there's also some things I hate in life that I hate more than I should. And one of those things is I hate when people talk during movies. Anybody else? Anybody have someone in your life? I mean, I'm not going to say names. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's my wife. I don't know. But people who talk during movies, and this is usually how it goes in my home. Right? First of all, it takes a thousand years for my wife and I to agree on a movie. So when we do, this is a very special moment. And we'll sit down to watch the movie, and she will inevitably be on her phone. And, uh, and then we're watching the movie, and she's looking at something. And about 10 minutes in, she turns to me and goes, what's going on? I'm like, what do you mean, what's going on? We just, we, the, you've, been, you've been on TikTok for the last 10 minutes. Like, put down the phone, right? Or, or then a, a character will walk in for the very first time. No one watching this movie knows who this person is. They'll walk in. She goes, who's that? What is he? What's it? I'm like, I don't know. Let's watch. Let's find out, right? And now you've spent two minutes talking to me. I've missed all the conversation. I don't know who this person is. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I love her. I have grace on her for that. But there's some things in life that we love more than we should and some things in life that we hate probably more than we should. And what's interesting is we look at this story in um, Genesis chapter 37 of, of a young man named Joseph, his father Jacob, and Joseph's brothers. What we're going to see is a case study for a dysfunctional family. So if you have a dysfunctional family or come from one, you're in good, uh, good standing this morning because we're going to learn about a very dysfunctional family. And what we're going to actually see in this story is that the human heart oftentimes 
has love and hatred that is disordered. Oftentimes in our hearts, we have disordered love for things and we have disordered hatred for things that not only affects us, but affects the people around us. And here's why I want to encourage you to lean in this morning. As I've been going through this, I've learned this in my own heart, that it is very possible this morning that you have disordered love and hatred in your heart that is not only tearing you up inside, but it's affecting the people around you. And it's quite possible that we're living this way without even realizing it. And so this morning, as we look at the story of Joseph in chapter 37, I want us to do this. I want our prayer to be, Holy Spirit, would you show me what in my heart is disordered, and then would you help me reorder it through the gospel? So I'm going to read chapter 37, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll dive in. Everybody with me? If you're with me, let me hear you say, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's all right. That's not bad. That's not bad. We'll get there. Chapter 37, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhaz and the son of Silpha, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of the others, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood right while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for everyone who's here. We know it's not by mistake. We thank you for your word that is truth. And we thank you for your spirit that helps apply that truth to our life and make it real. I pray this morning that you would show us if there's disorder in our hearts and that you would help us apply the gospel and bring reorder to our lives and to our hearts. Help us to love you and serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the very beginning of the story of the life of Joseph. And, and we're introduced in this, in this chapter to three characters. We've got Jacob, the father of Joseph. And Jacob, if you read before this in the book of Genesis, he is a, a descendant of Abraham. If you remember, Abraham is a guy God chose to, um, to be the father of the nation of Israel. So God says to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky. Um, they'll be my people. They're going to be a blessing to the whole world, right? So Abraham has a son Isaac. Isaac has a son Jacob. And now Jacob has a son Joseph. And so that's kind of where we are in the story. After this, you're going to see the descendants of, of Jacob end up becoming the nation of Israel. And they end up being enslaved for 400 years under Egypt. And, um, but we've come to the point now where Jacob has these children, and one of those children is named Joseph. And Joseph is the youngest of the children. And what we find is, as we read this story, that Jacob has a, uh, a deeper love for Joseph than his other sons. 
And there's some reasons why this is the case. One of them, the Bible tells us, it says that he was born to Jacob in his old age. And so at that time, your children, really in a lot of ways, were your worth and value. Your significance, your standing in the community was based on how many children you had and, in particular, how many sons you had. So as a woman, your value was based on how many kids you were able to birth. And as a man, the number of children you had represented your status and your significance. And so Jacob has a son, Joseph, in his old age when he shouldn't have any more kids. And therefore, Joseph has this special place in his heart. But we also know, if you read previously, Joseph is the son of one of Jacob's favorite wives. So he has a special place in his heart for that reason. And um, as we read the story, there's some signs to us in here that this love for Joseph was actually a displaced love. It actually was not a healthy love. It actually was creating some issues. and, 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 And it was a disordered love in the heart of Jacob. And one of the signs that we have is the idea of this, um, this multicolored coat that he gives him, right? So, um, so it says that he gives him his richly ornamented coat. Maybe you've heard multicolored robe, or maybe you've seen a story or play on this. And, and, and one of the things that scholars say when they're looking at this text is, what's interesting is this robe that he gives him was actually a robe that would have gone all the way to his wrists and all the way down to his ankles. And the reason why that's significant is because in that culture and time, Only people that would wear a robe like that were people that had stature and significance. That was royalty. Those were the people who were not working in the fields, right? Because it makes sense. You would never wear a robe like that that would hinder your movement. You wouldn't be able to work properly in the fields. You wouldn't be able to tend the flocks. So those type of robes were designated for those who had special significance. Those were who, who were extra special and were not made for working out in the fields. And so the father gives his son Joseph who is the youngest, so in that culture meant you had the least value, he gives him this signifying that he is more special and more valuable than his brothers. We already see signs that his love for Joseph is not just a normal fatherly love, but there's a disordered love taking place in his heart. And so as we read and continue the story, we go on and, and, and see later on, it says, secondly, he was born in his old age, and so Joseph had this place in Jacob's heart. And what's interesting as you look at the story, what we find is that this disorderly love of his son Joseph was actually not really about his son Joseph. See, Jacob no doubt loved Joseph, but what he really loved, the reason why this love was disordered is because of what Joseph did for the heart of Jacob. It's the significance and the value and the worth that Joseph provided for Jacob, that when he looked at this son who shouldn't have been born, when he looked at this son who was born to his favorite wife, he had extra, he thought, man, I am special, I am significant, I have worth and value because I have this son who is amazing. And so therefore, because this thing gives my heart what I want, I'm going to protect it, I'm going to celebrate it, I'm going to worship it, I'm going to praise it, and I'm going to do so, I'm going to love it in a way that is not ordinary and healthy in my heart. I'm going to have a disordered love for this thing because of what it provides for me. How many of you know this is true in life, in our hearts? How many of us parents have a disordered love for our children? See, we may not realize that we think we love our kids, but oftentimes we love what our kids do for our own hearts. So maybe if we think, man, I, I have a child who is really intelligent, 
and they get all the awards in class at, at, at the class ceremony. And in that moment, right, when they're calling out your child's name and they're giving awards, what do you feel in your heart? You feel this soaring in your heart. And sure, it's, pride, it, it, it's, it's a healthy pride, but there's also an unhealthy pride where it goes, look how great I am. Look how much of a better parent I am than these other parents, right? I remember this year my daughter started playing soccer, and, uh, and she was out there, and um, I, I, I remember her first game. She was running up that sideline on the right on the right hand side. She took the ball and and granted half the kids were picking flowers. They weren't paying attention. But nevertheless, right, she 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 was going for it. And I remember her first goal, kicking that ball in the goal. I mean, I went ballistic. I was running up and down, and I remember hearing other people shout her name, Charlotte, yeah, Charlotte. And I was going, I was high-fiving strangers. I'm pretty sure they were the other other team's parents. They weren't happy about it. But um, but I, I mean, I was so excited. I want I to just run and be like, in your face, that's my daughter, right? Like, it does something into our hearts. And it wasn't I was just excited for her. There was this moment of feeling like she gave me something in that moment. She made me soar because I felt like, wow, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Now, what happens when we have this disordered love in our hearts is it begins to affect the people around us. It begins to enslave the people around us. So as parents, when we do this with our kids, they then become the source of our joy and our happiness. We're dependent on them to perform and to provide us what our hearts need, right? So as long as they're well-behaved, as long as they're healthy, as long as they do what we think, then they provide us. And so we put this pressure on them. They become slaves to our heart's desire for them to perform the way we want. But we also do it to each other. We do it in relationships. It can happen in marriage or, 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 or dating relationships. It can happen in friendships. It can even happen in a church community. That we're dependent on each other to give us what our hearts want. And when we don't do it, we become angry and frustrated. And all of us, oftentimes without even realizing it, are looking to each other to give our hearts something that only God can. It's a disordered love. And so we read on the story, and here's what we find out. Jacob's disordered love begins not only to affect Jacob's heart, but it begins to affect Joseph's heart. And so Joseph, the story goes, it starts off, and notice what it says. It says, Joseph brought their father a bad report about his brothers. How many of you know nobody likes to tattletale, right? And if you've been around kids, you know kids love to tattle on each other. There is nothing better for a kid than to tell a bad report about his sibling or another child, right? And what's happening in those moments? What they're doing is they're positioning themselves above their sibling in, in the order of affection that you have for them. So they're saying, I'm better than my sibling because I didn't do the bad thing that they did. Therefore, dad, mom, youth pastor, leader, person in church, whatever, you should love me more. You should have more affection for me. It doesn't, they don't have to do a good thing. They just don't have to be as bad as somebody else. We do this all the time, though. How many times in a conversation have you thrown somebody under the bus? How many times at work have you talked bad about somebody? How many times in a family setting do we point out the negative qualities of family members? Why do we do that oftentimes? It's to position ourselves above somebody else. And so Joseph is starting to do this. We're starting to see the disordered love that his dad had for him is taking root in his heart, and it's creating a disordered love in his own life for status, for position. He's starting to believe what his dad said about him, which is he's better than his brothers. And so now he's got to fight for that. 
And so what, he do, what does he do? He gives a bad report. Well, then he goes on and he has these dreams. Now, these dreams were from God. These were, not, these were not sinful dreams or bad dreams. But when you read some of the commentators on this, what they'll say is there's indications in the original Hebrew language that the way that Joseph was handling these dreams shows us that he had pride in his heart. He wasn't just saying, here's what I think God is saying to us. There was pride in here where he was promoting himself and the position that he had over everybody else. So the disordered love of his father has now created a disordered love in the son, and his love is for status and position in his mind. As long as I'm dad's favorite, then I have worth and value. Here's what I think we need to learn this morning and be reminded of is the sin in our heart, the disordered loves that we have in our life don't just affect us. They affect everybody around us. They affect generations to come. They affect the people in this church, our relationships. They do not, there is no such thing as a sin that only affects you, right? That's why the Bible says the, the sin of a father gets passed on to a son. And it's true. That's the idea is all of our choices, all of our disorderly loves, the things that we chase and love affect generations to come. And I won't spend too long on that because it could really depress you when you start to think, my brokenness is affecting my kids, which will affect their kids and their kids and their kids, right? It's the story of humanity. So this morning, here's what I want to challenge you to say. What is the thing in your life that you love in a disorderly way? What is the thing in your life that you think, if I could just have that, I'd be happy? Is it wealth? Maybe you think if I could be wealthy, if I could have, if I could have stuff, then my life would be better. Is it position, prominence, if I could have that, that new job or that position at my work? Or it, it, maybe it's approval, if people liked me more or thought better of me. What's the thing in your life that you said, said, if I could have that, I would have everything I need? Because that thing, that thing that you love is the thing that your life is chasing. And if you don't get it in order, you are having a negative effect on yourself and the people around you. So what is the thing in your life? What is the love of your life that is disordered? I believe God wants to help us reorder that this morning. So we go on, and here's what we learn from this. that The, the disordered love of Jacob not only affects his son Joseph, but it actually also affects his other sons. And what it does in their heart is it creates a disordered hatred. So we learn when we read this that Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated him. They hated the fact that he was the favorite. As he tells these dreams, it says they hated him even more. They couldn't even, t- they couldn't even say a good word about him. Right? You get this sense that as the father loves Joseph, the hatred of the other sons begins to grow towards Joseph. Now what I think is interesting is that their hatred actually wasn't for Joseph. See, what, what did their hearts really desire in this moment? They wanted what Joseph had, which was the approval and affection of their father. But because his love for Joseph was disordered, it created a hatred in their heart which was disordered. And so they, they instead of hating um, the fact that they weren't getting love and affection, what they did is they, they took Joseph and they put him as the reason why they weren't getting what their hearts wanted. And so they began to hate Joseph because he was the problem. He was preventing them from getting what they wanted. And in their minds, they begin to get to the point where they said, if Joseph was out of the way, we would have what we really want. Maybe if Joseph was gone, then dad would love us the way that he loves Joseph. And so we didn't read the whole story, but as the story goes on, and we're going to get to it later on in the series, what you'll find is the brothers actually begin to plot to kill, and then eventually they decide to enslave Joseph and sell him into slavery. They were so convinced that Joseph 
was the problem, that they had a displaced hatred for him, and the idea was if they could get rid of him, then everything would be solved. I don't know about you, but I realized as I was reading through this and thinking through this that there's some things in my life that I hate that, I, that are a real displaced hatred. Maybe for, maybe for you, for some of you, it's, it's a person in your life. Maybe you were raised in a broken home. Maybe you've got a parent who, like Joseph or his brothers, you, you didn't feel the approval, the affection. And, and over the years, maybe your heart has grown a hatred towards that person because you think, if they had just loved me the way that I deserve, then I'd be happy. Right? If they had just given me what I deserve, then I would be happy. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a, it's a circumstance. Maybe it's not a person, but it's a situation. If I had just gotten that thing, if, if that had just gone my way, then I'd be happy. And we, we, we become bitter and we become hateful towards people, towards situations. And even we can, become, we, can, we can grow hatred in our heart towards God. How many of us have said, God, give me this. And when he doesn't, we become angry and we become spiteful. How many of us have prayed before and said, God, I need this. I need, a, I need this miracle. I need this provision. I need this healing. Whatever the situation is, God, I need, you to, I need you to step up in this moment. And when he doesn't, what happens? We become angry and frustrated and hate God because he's not giving us what our hearts really want. It's a displaced hatred. And the reality is, in those moments, we don't love God. We love what he can give us. We don't love the creator. We love the created. We love what he provides for us. And when he doesn't, he's the reason. He's the problem. He's the one that's in the way of us getting what our hearts really wanted. So often in life, we have a displaced hatred. And what we need is our hearts to be reordered. I'm going to call the, the uh, worship team. Or Pastor Anthony is going to come up and we're going we're gonna to sing a song in a moment. But as we come to a close, I want to share with you a story. Uh, my wife and I celebrated 16 years of marriage this past June. And um, we got married. I was barely 20 years old. So what that means is I was totally mature when we got married. And an, uh, just an awesome husband. I mean, she will tell you. Yeah. No, that's, that's not true. Um, but I remember when we got married, and my idea of marriage was marriage was there to make you happy. That's my idea. When I got married. And so there was moments when you've been married a long time, and some of you have been married way longer than me. You can speak to this way more than I can. There is, there is seasons of marriage, like anything, right? And there's times when things are great. You feel like you're running on the clouds together, and, 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 and you're completely in sync. And then there's other times where you're like, dear God, what did I do? We have made a mistake. Now, I've never said that, but I have heard my wife say that about me a few times. Um, that's, the, that's, that's what happens in a relationship in marriage, right? And I remember these moments early on where, uh, where I would think, my wife is not giving me what I want. She's not giving me what my heart needs, whether it's approval or affection or whatever. And, and, I, used, and I remember be feeling angry towards her, right? It was, hatred is probably too strong of a word, but, but feeling angry. Like, she's the reason that I'm not feeling happy, and I'm not feeling fulfilled, and I'm not having joy in my life. And I thought that's what marriage was supposed to be. I thought it was supposed to be the thing that gives you. And so she's the problem. And it wasn't until later on, so I really started to understand the gospel, that I realized she wasn't the problem at all. The problem was within my heart. The problem was the things that I was looking to that only Jesus was, could provide me. 
The problem was these things that I looked to, and now I thought she was responsible to give them to me, but the reality is, even on her best day, she could give it to me, give it to me, she could provide all the affirmation, all the approval I need, and it would never be enough, right? It would never satisfy. I was putting her in an unwinnable situation, just like I was doing with all kinds of other people in my life. And so this, this frustration that I had for her was totally displaced. When the real problem, the real frustration should have been with me in my own heart. And we look to this story, we see this dysfunctional family, and, and to be honest with you, it can feel hopeless. Because the Bible is not a story of heroes. It's a story of dysfunction that all leads to one hero. And Joseph is the same. See, you and I are not Joseph in the story. You and I are the, are the brothers who throw Joseph in the pit and sell him into slavery. The true hero of the story, the one who Joseph points to, is Jesus. The story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did, is what this whole story is all about. See, in the story of the gospel, what we have is a father who, unlike Jacob, right? Jacob has a son who is born without any, uh, any significance and value and worth. He's the lowest of all the sons. And then Jacob elevates him to a high status. In the gospel, we have a father who has a son who has all status in Jesus. He has all approval, right? He's at the right hand of the father. He has all creation before him. And yet the son and the father willingly sacrifice that, give it all up, and are born into poverty, born into persecution. Instead of the father placing the robe on Jesus, he takes the robe off Jesus, and Jesus inserts himself into humanity. He gives up all that he deserves because of his love for you and I. And then he lives this life, this perfect life, a sin, sin-free life. The only person who ever, never had disorderly love or disorderly hate. The only person who lived the righteousness, the perfect life that you and I should live. And then he goes to the cross, and on the cross he does something spectacular. That robe that he takes off that signifies his kingship, he gives it to us. He puts it around us. He takes on our sin and our brokenness. He, he, he takes on all that we've done in our life onto himself. He takes our filthy rags, puts them on, and then gives onto us the kingly robe and declares us as righteous. So that now when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our brokenness and our sin. He doesn't see the disorderly love and hatred in our hearts. What he sees is the righteousness of the Son. He sees the robe. That's what he sees. That's the gospel. And now, for the first time in our lives, we're free not to chase these lesser loves in our life, but we're free to, be, to, we're free to know the, the ultimate love, which is the love of Jesus. And now, for the first time, we're free to love and serve each other. Because we don't need to use each other for the things in our hearts. We don't need to use each other for approval and affirmation. We have it, right? The circumstances of our life don't dictate our happiness and joy. We have all happiness and joy in the promise of God. So now, all of a sudden, we're free to love and care and serve each other because we have the ultimate love. That's the gospel. That's the work of Jesus on our behalf. And so this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what sort of disorderly love that you have in your heart or disorderly hate that you have in your heart. But here's what I know. We serve a God who wants to reorder your heart. Through the work of the gospel in your life, 
as Jesus comes in and his love, the love you have for him becomes the ultimate love in your life, he will reorder all the lesser things to where they can take their proper place. And here's what's amazing. Because I know this, knowing the truth is not the same as believing the truth. The gospel is truth. But Jesus doesn't just give us truth. He also gives us the power to apply that truth to our life. Sometimes we can hear a message like that and go, okay, that's great, uh, but I don't know how it works itself out from my head into my heart. That's the work of the Spirit. So Jesus, when he ascended, after being resurrected, he said, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit's going to do is going to make the message of the gospel become real in your hearts. He will do the supernatural. So this morning, if you have hatred in your heart, this morning, if you have someone, you, I can never love this person. I can never forgive this person. I can never love and forgive this situation. He can. The Holy Spirit can do it. He can do a supernatural healing and work in your life. This morning, if you, if you have a disordered love of something, and you're like, I've been chasing this thing my whole life. I don't, know, I don't know how to. He can reorder your heart. The power of the Holy Spirit can make the gospel, the message of Jesus, real in a profound way. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you, would you stand to your feet? And as you do, maybe if you're comfortable, just close your eyes. We're going to invite some of our church leaders to come forward. And what I believe is that God wants to give an opportunity for those of you here today who say, I'm going through something. I have, I have an issue that's been in my heart, and I, and I need I need the Holy Spirit to make the gospel real. I need Jesus, the beauty of him, to become more evident in my life so that I can reorder my heart. This morning, I want to give an opportunity. We're giving an opportunity for you to come forward and pray. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray over all of us, and then we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, if that's you, if you'd love prayer this morning, we want you to come forward, find one of our church leaders, and we just want to pray for you and believe that God is going to do the supernatural in your life this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We know no one is here by accident. We thank you for the message of the gospel, the story that Joseph points us to, which is Jesus, the true and better Joseph. We thank you that he gave up all that he deserved to give us what we never could. We thank you that he has forgiven us and redeemed us despite the fact that we've turned our backs on him, despite the fact that we chase things other than him. He still has a desperate love for us. So we thank you this morning for the gospel and the ability that it has to reorder our hearts and to set our love and affection on you and you alone. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make that real. And for those who need a, 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 a touch from you, for those who need an encounter from you, for those who need a, a supernatural move, God, I pray that you would do that in their hearts this morning. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we